start from the top? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, tell us about humanity. Tell us how you got how you got started. You know, tell us the story. Sure. Um, so Humanity is a company that creates platforms that provide sustainable civic engagement and awareness by creating universal access to volunteer opportunities, donation opportunities, and any other form of civic engagement with local communities on one platform. Uh, this idea isn't uh, – it, does, it doesn't come out of nowhere. We've all – everyone's always wanted to give back in some way. You have governments wanting to – get citizens to help out. You have schools that need parents for PTA. Everybody wants to give, but the problem is is that uh, in an age of information, ironically, it's very hard to find out exactly where to give, where to help, you know, how to how to get involved, essentially. So we, we make that easier. Um, every organization is different. Every nonprofit is different. Every city has different needs. But we find a common denominator between all of these different entities and we put that in one platform. So whether you have a 20-person nonprofit or your United Way, you know, you have billion-dollar budget, you, you still use utilize the same resources, and we make those resources available for every different organization, scalable, so that we can actually match what you need. Uh, the, the idea came about when I was trying to volunteer um, with Ohio State for the MLK Day of Service, right, you know, uh, once a day um, or once a year. They have dozens of organizations come out, and the red tape that is usually up for volunteering is lowered. Essentially, all you had to do was sign a piece of paper. You might have to watch an instructional video, this, that, and the other. But within 10 minutes, they could put your name on a piece of paper and get you out the door helping somebody. And the problem was that they turn away so many students because within the first hour, even though it's an all-day affair, within the first hour, they run out of opportunities. And that just didn't make sense to me that – you're turning away all this help, and so then when we want to come back and help tomorrow, it's ten times harder. Why is it easy today versus being, you know, you know, versus what it normally is? And some organizations require training. Some require certification, specializations, and that's understandable, dealing with uh, senior citizens, dealing with children and animals. But the vast majority of volunteering opportunities is forms of manual labor, customer service, donation drives it doesn't take a whole lot to get out there and you know stack cans collect you know things this that and the other so it doesn't make sense that you're turning away so much help and one day it's easy and the next day it's not so what we decided to do was how can we make it this easy to volunteer all the time that that was the goal that's always been the goal is how can we make it easier for you to get out and get help and it took a lot of research, honestly, it, it, because we had to figure out, well, how often do people need training? How often do people need certification? Who needs help? How often do they need this help? How much money do they spend in this? I mean, it was uh, – I, the MLK Day of Service, it was early in the year, um, and volunteering opportunities that were that easy were between January and February, very early in the spring semester. But it wasn't until June of that year – uh, that I filed the LLC June of, t- of 2016. Um, so it was, you know, five, six months of research before I even actually created Humanity. First thing I did, you know, after being turned away from volunteering was I Googled volunteering opportunity because I got the bug, you know. You know you know how you wake up one day and you're like, I'm, I'm going to help somebody, you know, or you, you donate some money to something. They ask you, would you like to donate a dollar to da-da-da? And you feel good that day. You're like, okay, yeah, let me go ahead and do that. I had the bug, and I wanted to help. And I 
couldn't figure out, you know, who was available. I was calling this place, and they're and they're like, oh, you have to go to this website. And I so I go to the website, and they say, oh, click to sign up. I click it. They told me to email somebody. I gotta wait three weeks for this person to get back to me. I call somebody else. So I'm I'm doing this, and it took hours. It was like seven, eight p.m. before I found somebody that was able to help, and. That just didn't – it didn't make sense to me. It shouldn't be this difficult. Maybe I was just bad at it, but the problem was I was finding a lot of people were having similar – you know, they had similar stories. You know, when you want to – when you want to volunteer as one person, it's like, okay, they might have an empty spot. They might be able to squeeze you in. But let's say when I was a music teacher, I wanted to get my – wanted to get some classes out here. I wanted to get parents involved. Every like, the the main – Signing up method right now people are using is just a someone someone's spreadsheet, someone's Excel spreadsheet, or someone's Google Doc, and you just got to call this person and they'll put you in somewhere. And look, it gets the job done if you just have this one event. But you're talking about enterprises that are doing this. You're talking about multi-million dollar companies that are doing this. You're talking about Fortune 500 companies. 90% of Fortune 500 companies have volunteering programs, and there's an alarming number of people that are spending way too much money by just having people working with spreadsheets, emailing back and forth when there's a complication in the schedule. It's it's madness to fix. So it took six months of this research to get a terrible platform together, to just get the worst wireframe you've ever seen. <laughs> you couldn't even call it an alpha version. And I took that idea, created an LLC, and the next thing I needed to do was when I had the idea of how I wanted it to come about, I had to find somebody to who knew the scene better than me. Because even though I wanted to volunteer, I still wasn't I wasn't heavily involved in the volunteering. I haven't worked for a nonprofit. You know what I mean? And there's ins and outs of the market that I just didn't know. So I had to I had to build my team. So I had to find uh, I, I found this gentleman who was uh, very very knowledgeable about the subject, and I you know brought I brought him on. Uh, to really, you know, help educate me on how this works legally. What can we do? Do, do they have to be a 501c3 to have a to have a volunteering opportunity? Can someone under the age of 18 volunteer in this type of event? All, all these different parameters and things you just never think about when you just have an idea. And that's that's one of the main things that I learned the hard way is that it, the rabbit hole is always much deeper than you think because with any idea, there's there's reasons it has been done, and there's reasons it hasn't been done. So you have to know both of those. You have to know why someone hasn't done it this way or why have they done it this way. See see if there's anything new you could bring to the table. See what people are doing wrong, what, what you could do better, or what hasn't been done before. So I take all of this. You know, we have this wireframe together. I create this pamphlet. Um, I have some family that works in, uh, you know, in the political sectors. Uh, so... I was able to schedule a couple meetings with some people that deal with nonprofits down in the state of Texas, and we were able to sit down. They they heard my pitch. It was it. I I was grateful that so many people showed up to just listen to me because when I said, "Look, I think I have a better way to help you volunteer," you know, we had thirty different organizations that met that came up and wanted to hear about this because people struggle with this. People were struggling with this and, and still are, you know. So. We got all these people in the room, and I pitched humanity. First pitch I've ever done. I mean, I practiced it to myself, but when I got up there and was trying to tell people, so we have a platform for social change, I I bombed. No one bought in. Everybody was like, what is this? I don't, you didn't even explain what the product does. 
you know, I didn't have people. Then after that, this, it, it, that was, you know, me just telling my idea. People like to see that, but then we have started to have, they asked the hard questions. How are you, how are you going to make money? How are you going to scale this? If, if we switch to your platform, who's going to help us? Do you have a customer support line? Is this a HIPAA compliant? What type of insurance do you provide? What are your figures like three years out? How do you plan on onboarding customers? I was bombarded with questions that I I could barely I barely had an answer for, and I'm still working the answers out. As you know, humanity's gone long for the past couple of years. Still working out. You know, we have a much better idea now how we're handling this, but things change. the The market changes, and sometimes you have to, you know, your idea has to pivot slightly. But we've been fortunate enough to have a strong enough foundation that we don't have to completely pivot our idea. Sometimes pivoting is good, but in our case, uh, we just it's more about adding features, right? Oh, we didn't think that you might need that. We can also include this in our suite of features. So I didn't get any money right then. It wasn't until, this was, let's see, that was August uh, 2016. 20, it was uh, November or September? September of 2016. That's when we had the first person that was set Okay, if I give you X amount, how much would I get back, and when would I get that back? And we had we had our it was it wasn't it wasn't a nonprofit. It was actually we had private investors that were interested in that. We it was a nonprofit that bought it immediately. We had uh, we had a nationwide organization um, uh, that that was interested in, in helping. It wasn't a nonprofit. Uh, it was you know it was a business. And then we had private investors that that we were able to get to a point where it was for every ten thousand you put in, we can we can put back uh, twelve thousand five hundred. You know, we were we were trying to work out certain things like that. Well, are we going to get any equity? Do we get Class A stock? How, how does this work? Are you an LLC? Are you switching to an S corporation? What happens when you switch? And that's when we had to get legal. We had to get some legal help. So we had to, so we had to, we had to have an attorney on on retainer to to deal with that before we even had any money. This is before, like while we're trying to negotiate this, we had to have uh, we had to have uh, an attorney. Then we had to have a CFO, and we got we finally got got to a deal where it was we will give you X amount of money, but we need to have a product by this time to use for this different for for our organization. Right. And when you when you finally have somebody that will buy in things, things because it becomes different really quick. Then you have to be very careful about how how you handle everything. So we were developing humanity, the, the platform between September and May 2017, September 2016 and May 2017. Um, that was our first development way. We hired uh Six developers, a designer, CRO, CFO, attorney, and I think just a couple of consultants on like the marketing side of things. Got a got a beta version out. Um, for that for that beta version, we put it in the hands of different nonprofits. Some in Texas, some in some in Ohio. Uh, we got a lot of feedback. Some liked it, some didn't. Some said, you know, this is clunky. Uh, I, I'm not understanding how to use this because we didn't have we didn't have customer support, you know. So it was just me on the phone with people explaining how to use it, and that just let me know that it wasn't intuitive enough. 
So we had to change that. So then we started, we had to stop having those phone calls. Then we had, okay, well, I want to onboard 200 volunteers. How do I do that? We never would do that. It was just, they said, I said, email it to me. I'll put them in your, your system for you. You know, I'll create profiles for all of them. And because we got to that point, we all, we had to say, okay, wait a minute. This is, this, it, people want this. This has to grow faster than, this, you know, it's growing faster than we thought it would. We have to shut this down right now and start over. And it was because the platform we were designing was to solve one person's problems at a time and not really everybody's problem. And that became the platform that we are building now, that we're, you know, we're on the tail end of development. Uh, and this, and so this platform right now, we are going to, we're going to be delivering to Houston, Columbus, uh, some, there's some organizations in New York that are very interested. Uh, but essentially, humanity turned from just being a platform as a, essentially a job site where you can post, uh, an event, someone can sign up for it. That was the initial goal. But because we solved that problem, we saw that there were so many other problems with the industry. What happens when you have a whole organization that wants to sign up at one time? What happens if you if your organization splits into two different branches? What happens when you are a volunteer in Kansas City and then you move to, you know, Austin, Texas, and you want to volunteer? Should you have to sign up again with another organization? No, you should be able to stay on the same platform. So then that had to be, that, that means we had to change our back-end infrastructure so that you don't have to sign up for multiple, multiple entities to do multiple different, uh, volunteering or satisfy volunteering opportunities in different locations. And what we're, so what we're, what we, what we built now is a platform that solves all these different issues of the volunteering industry. And it only got to this point because we put this in the hands of people and they said, yeah, it's good, but it could be better. Right. And that's and that's how and we're we're still doing that. Just last week, you know, we were on, we were on the phone with, with some people that are in disaster uh, relief and disaster management with different counties of Texas. And they're saying, look, we can get we love the volunteering side of it. But what happens when we need 10,000 people to help at one time? How do we organize that? How do we get how do we let people know that this is a disaster zone that we need to we need we need some we need some aid out here? How can we navigate that? So, you know, we're, we're working on satisfying all the different needs, you know, with civic engagement that comes from volunteering, donating, and, and disaster management. And it, 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 so humanity just, it, it's still growing, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, sorry if I'm rambling. I'm like going on and on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is great information. So you, you know, you ended up, getting these first volunteering organizations that are interested in Texas, and then later you got some in New York, and you got some funding from these investors uh, back in 2016, I believe you said. And then recently, yeah. I think you just closed a deal in New York. Are you able to share that process, and are you able to share any of the numbers regarding those deals? Uh, Sure, sure. So um, it started with, uh, organ, you know, this um, the organizations in in Texas that are very interested, and they're more interested in, especially uh, disaster prone areas. We have, you know, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Florida that are very prone to hurricanes, and volunteer volunteerism is one of the main things that help rebuild, uh, you know, cities when when they're when they're hit. So 
you're starting to see some of these natural disasters more in the form of blizzards than anything in, in New York. And what, what's happening is people are starting to understand that volunteers want to help, especially when things go south. So we're, so we're working with um, different entities uh, within, the, within the city of Houston and can't say exactly what, what uh, we're working on, but there are similar platforms that are charging upwards of uh, 200 to 500,000 uh, annually for these types of services. So when you have an organization that might want to incorporate three to four of these types of services, and we're talking about uh, citywide, statewide, or countywide, however the entity is is considered for for disaster for disaster relief. That's when that's when you can start to see some some real. Well, it's hard to it's hard to describe without it. Essentially, there's about two million dollars uh, annually uh, in the in the state of, in, in a city like Houston for what for what we can bring in terms of services being provided. Um, question though yeah gotcha. hello yeah 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 that that oh yeah, i mean that 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 you know that is useful information so you mentioned before you know you started getting in the tech world and starting your own company you were a music teacher you know uh how did you make that jump and why, why did you make the jump from music over to technology <laughs> yeah so um Let's see. Uh, my first, so I was I was studying uh, audio engineering. Got my degree in audio engineering when I was uh, twenty. Yeah. Um, and uh, from then I started studying music theory at the University of Houston. Ended up with my teacher certification uh, in the state of Texas as a music teacher. I was teaching uh, pre-K through uh, high school with uh, you know different different schools. One of my favorite schools was Saint Teresa, the Catholic school in Texas. Shout out to St. Teresa. Um, but the, the crazy thing was, is that even though you see bands grow, you see school, you see schools grow, budget for the arts always shrinks. And that means that teachers can tell you that when the budget shrinks, that means what you have, your, your job, your job requirements go, go way up. So as a music teacher that was incorporating audio engineering into uh, my curriculum, that meant I, you know, I built a sound studio for the school, uh, you know, microphones, had brought instruments, uh, a lot of recording equipment, and, you know, teaching kids how to, you know, mix and master. You know, we recorded a Christmas album. Fabulous, by the way. Um, <laughs> and what, because, of, because of all the different students I had, uh, there were a lot of requirements each of them each of them needed for the mixing and the mastering. You know, they each have different you know, timbres of their voice. They're, they're in different ranges. So that requires uh, a bit of automation if you want that to go a little bit faster. You know, so just creating small scripts to sort of make this, put the settings in the right place, you know, making presets, essentially. Um, that got me interested in computer science, just looking at the scale of helping people. Because when I was if I was teaching a one-on-one -on -one lesson, um, you know, I'm obviously helping only one person at a time, although intimately. If I'm, you know, doing group sessions, you know, five, six, seven students, it's uh, I'm, I'm helping a few more, you know, and they're getting relatively about the same amount of interaction. When you start to when you start to 
really dial that knob up, looking at, well, I'm teaching a classroom, 20 students. That's how many students I can, you know, educate about certain principles. Then you look at a lecture hall where you get to teach 400 students at a time. Then you look about creating online services. Now you're really talking about making a change in so many, you know, so many kids' lives with, with education. And it was that notion about scale that really got me interested in just helping as many people as possible. You know, I, I still teach, you know, doing a one-on-one lessons, still doing like jam sessions and stuff like that. But when my first goal with computer science was to create music education applications, um, that, that's what really got me interested in it. So I started looking for, um, I started looking for some undergraduate work. Uh, at University of Houston, and everywhere I turned, people were just like, "Go away! You don't know enough about computers." Um, and it was it, oddly enough, my my mom's a nurse, right? She uh, went to a nursing uh, conference where there was a professor there that was working on an app that was to be given to nurses to log uh, the amount of bacteria and something. It was like something like certain tools and seeing how clean they are it was, it was it was something like that but there was a there was a professor that you know was working on an app that was at a nursing co- conference and my mom ran into this guy and she's like baby you like computers right and i'm like yes mom i, I like computers i'm trying to learn you know, they're like and she's like well i think i found you somebody that could i could, I could help you with computers he's computers computers too and i'm like okay cool and so she arranged a meeting with the, with this gentleman and he told me he brought me in his office, and he was like, okay, so she says that you're a programmer. And I'm like, um, I took a C++ class. And he's like, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to need you to do. I need you to go to uh, – to, I need you to learn about the framework Meteor. Have you heard, you've, have you heard of Meteor, uh, John? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but we, yeah. we saw Meteor together, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that's – oh, my God, that's right. I completely, I completely forgot. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was what I was I was working on was what he gave me to do, and that was, so that actually that was a bit later. Let me tell you what happened. So he told me to learn about Meteor and like do like the online modules for you know the basic apps, you know, creating like uh, some small uh, to do list, this, that, and the other. He told me to do that. Come back at it next year, right? So I it was like three months later. I came back to him and I was like, okay, I did all the I did all the little modules. What what can I do now? You know, just JavaScript, HTML, CSS, web apps with JavaScript, HTML, CSS. That was it. And he was like, that was supposed to last you a year. Look, if you really want to help, I guess you can start doing some front-end work on this one project. Um, so I was doing um, – let's see. So I started so I started doing the some a little front-end design with um, this, one, this one project they were working on, Fundred.org. And in three, four weeks of working on that, uh, I received a phone call, and um, he was like, hey, do you want to keep working on this project? Um, I have some people that you might want to talk to. And on the other line was some folks at MIT, and they and they were funding the project. And they're like, yeah, this is our project, part of MIT's collab, da-da-da-da-da. You know, if you want to work, we can, you know, set you up as a programmer, you know, and that's how I ended up at Ohio State was to pursue a better degree in computer science 
um, you know, because I was I switched my I switched major from arranging composition at the time after music theory to um, to computer engineering at University of Houston, but you know they encouraged me to go to a uh, competitive and a stronger program, so I ended up at Ohio State. But as you remember, I was still not the best programmer, and I so I ended up at you know the web web development club, you know the web dev club, and that's where you know I linked up with you, and you know again your help is always invaluable. Uh, so let's see. From there, I was working for MIT for a year and. I wanted to do some research at, I believe it was Rutgers. So I wanted to, I needed to get a, um, I needed to get a letter of recommendation from one of my professors. And my professor at my, the only hard science professor I had at the time outside of a Java course, just a basic Java course was a physics course taught by a professor, uh, Richard Hughes. And so I asked him to write me a letter of recommendation. I told him all about it. He told me to come in his office. I told him all about what I wanted to do, uh, you know, with computer science and programming, and I think this might help me. He said, well, one, you're looking for a job, right? And I was like, I guess. And he's like, well, why don't you just come work for me? Um, so he owns a startup called Super H, and, you know, data doing data analytics. So I immediately started working for him. And he was just picking out an office in Rev One. You know, I was I was one of the first people he hired. You know, outside of uh, you know like his close network. And I've been I've been working over there for uh, you know for some time, just getting a better sense of how uh, how startups work. And I think some of the lessons I learned from him, just as an entrepreneur were it's it's just incredible because there's so much that you can read you can look and you can check out in books podcasts videos there's so much but that that mentorship that you know one-on-one that is it's something different to you know walk alongside somebody and really see some of the challenges that they face you know, seeing how they deal with things in the in the moment, and just outside of uh, ar- architecture, security, uh, the legal side of startups, outside of all that, there's still challenges that you that you have to face on. How do we hire the right people? How do we know when our idea is no good? How do we know if this feature is going to work? How do we know if we're going to if we're differentiating enough? How do we become competitive? You know, it's it's that type of that yeah, that's something that you have to you have to learn by watching somebody go through that. Um, I mean, also there's plenty there's plenty of resources out there, but there's nothing like just being there and seeing some of the way that people handle these situations on a day to day basis. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Mentorship is important and. That's something I need to do is find a, you know, like a, a mentor to guide me through my journey. Uh, so, so something you said about, uh, how your mom got in tech was, was kind of pretty funny to me. My, uh, in ninth grade, I was not too interested in computers. I just wanted to play like basketball and Xbox all summer. And my mom forced me to go to this computer camp. 
And I was like, no, I don't want to go. I just want to play outside. And then, like, the first day I came back from the camp, it was like a Java programming camp. So you make a video game in Java. The first day I came back, I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And I went, like, every day for the next 30 days. And then when I went home, I'd work on it as well. So it's, it's kind of interesting how, like, mothers, like, you know, you don't like them when you're young, but they're actually looking out for you and <laughs> are pretty useful. Yeah, they they want they want what's best. They know they know what you like. They know what you're gonna like. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay, so uh, what would you tell to the other college students, other people at OSU who are trying to do startups? Um, what would you tell them so that they can succeed? Uh, okay. Number number one is, and I think everyone hears this, but they don't. They don't do it. You have to do your research. You have to do your homework because people are immediately turned off if you're brought to the table and they ask you a simple question and you, you can't give them anything close to an answer because what, what that does is that then sets precedence for what they, what they think that you're going to actually do, what you can provide for them, that you don't know what you're doing. And that burns bridges. Not knowing even how to answer a question can burn bridges. Not knowing what the ins and outs of your company. If you are starting a company and you have a small team, you have to know, as a leader of the team, you have to know everything about that company. You have to know everything about that market. You have to know how you're going to make, make how you're going to make money, how you're going to keep money. You have to know, and this is something that people really don't think about outside of just. If the idea is feasible, if there is a market for it, if there, if you're differentiating enough, if the number one thing I I find that if somebody says, okay, let's say I give you, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, let's say I give you three million dollars, what are you going to do with it? How am I going to get that money back? And every time people bring up a spreadsheet or some chart that says, well, if you give me two hundred thousand dollars today, I will give you eight hundred thousand dollars, and it's it's almost always not the case. You're, you have to know how you're going to use this money to stay afloat for one, two, three years before you can turn a profit, how you plan on scaling it, how you plan on onboarding customers, how you plan on educating your, your customers, how you plan on solving their problems. You know, how much is it going to cost for you to move to another state? How much is it going to cost for you to, to convert from an LLC to an S corporation? You know, how many, how many, uh, how many members do you have on your board? How many investors do you plan on? How many rounds of funding do you plan to have? And I think a lot of people now are starting to catch on that differentiation is incredibly important now because, you know, you know, some people say that there's no fresh ideas anymore. I, I don't quite believe that. I think every, I think there are still a lot of ideas and a lot of problems that haven't been solved yet. Um, I think people need to start focusing on that. But if they have an idea and they think that it's, it's fresh enough, they have to really they have to really ask themselves: Is this a is this a business, or am I just am I just is this just an idea I want to get some money for? Do you see what I'm saying? And I think not a lot yeah. of people are really asking themselves: Am I starting a business, or am I just trying to get some money? You know. If, if you look at the problems at the problems that the world is facing now, um, we have dishonest governments, we have we have corrupt systems, we have vastly you know uneducated parts of the country, we have people that are that are living in poverty. You know how are we how are we you know amongst the richest nations, but we have people that are starving. 
how do we still have racism? How do we how do we still have you know sexism in the workplace? How do we still there's there's a lot there's problems everywhere. Why are we eating the wrong thing? Why are we why are we becoming more obese as a country? Why what's with this the school to prison pipeline? There, there's there's problems that we have, but the problems people want to solve, you know, with with a lot of the startups that are that are gaining traction, is is just handling surface level issues. You know, you you really got to like dig down to see is what I'm solving is this one is this a real issue? Is this am I gonna try, am I trying to make some money on this or am I just or am I am I, am I starting a business? Like what what is the purpose of me becoming an entrepreneur? And I think a lot of people just really aren't doing enough research to one know whether they have a business a business plan, not just you know an idea. Ideas are great. Ideas are wonderful. The world, you know, needs ideas. But once you have an idea, the next step is a, you got to have a plan for it. You got to know what you're talking about at every turn, every corner, because you never know who you might meet. And this is something else that I that I really want to I really want to stress. When you are talking to people, you have to be careful. And what I mean by that is. You can't, you can't lie to, you know, your investors. You can't lie to people that want to buy into your idea. And you, you can't, you can't lie to yourself. You, when, when you're doing this research, when you're doing, you know, figuring out what, how you can make the world a better place with your product or your idea, you really have to be careful in the sense that is, are these numbers accurate? Am I am I just make finding data that supports my idea, or is this really you know objectively a good idea? Is this objective is this objective data? Is this something that I cooked up to look in my favor? Am I telling the whole truth with this? You know there there are a lot of different ways to to run a business um, and start and start a business, but I think one of the most important things you do when you start a business is is finding the right people. Because one person, they need to know everything, but they're not always going to be right. You have to have somebody that's going to, you know, help help you make sure that the books are right, that you're not you're not cooking the books. Make sure your data is straight. Make sure that your technology is you know is using best practices to make sure that keep you grounded in that regard. Because when you want something so bad, sometimes you trick yourself into believing that what you're doing is the right thing, the best idea, this, that, and the other. And as long as you have a core team that is that that makes a promise to themselves that we are going to do this right, we're going to make sure that we have a solid idea, a solid foundation, that this is this is how we're going to run this business. And that creates a good culture. You know, and that's and that's another thing that people don't really consider is what 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 type of culture do you want for your company? You know, do you want people that just as soon as you you know interview them, uh, is it there are they immediately asking how much equity do I get? How much you know do you offer benefits? This that and the other. That's that's the kind of people you want to hire way down the line. When you are starting out. You want somebody to when you tell them your idea, you they want you want the person that's going to say, "Oh, but what about if what about if we did this? What about if we did that?" 
when you're looking for your co-founders, you don't want somebody that just wants to ride. You know, you want somebody that's that's out there looking for you and out there that's going to look, look out for the business. You know, you know what I mean. And somebody oh, absolutely, that's gonna, yeah, yeah, that's somebody that's going to tell you that you're wrong. You know, saying, "Well, hold on now. I I think that data might be a little bit old. Let's see if we can find something else." You don't want yes men around you. You don't want you don't want somebody that's just going to say, "I love it. That's great. I love it." You, you need somebody that says, oh, "I don't know. Let's 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 see let's see if we can if we can do if we can do better. Let's see how we can improve." You know, and I guess the last the last thing about that is you 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 have to under you can't blind yourself you know in this in the same notion a lot of people don't get ahead because they they blind themselves thinking well they're just they're wrong this is a great idea you know so, sometimes that's the case sometimes you might pitch into an investor or pitch it to a business or whatever and they look at it and they say mm, we're going to pass and they might be wrong but more often than not these people are smart you know, these people, people who you ask from for money, they're very careful of who they give money to. So if they're giving you some advice on what to change, something you might want to work on, you, you got to listen to them. Because at that stage, at that early stage, if somebody says, look, I think, I don't know, I, I don't like where you're going with this. I don't see how we can make any money off of this. We should do this instead. If you can satisfy that first person, the rest is easy. You have to take advice because I, I've seen people that have been trying to get their business off the ground since before I've been working, you know, on humanity, and they still can't get any funding. They still can't get a buyer for for five thousand dollars. They can't get anybody to buy in, and it's because they won't change their model. They won't change what they're doing. They're you can't keep doing the same thing. We've changed the humanity platform, I think, eight, nine times now, just adding features, changing our back and changing our front end. We switched from uh, a straight JavaScript framework to Rails, back to a JavaScript framework, to Django, back to a JavaScript framework, and you know, just just on the back end, it's, and and that's because of the challenges we were trying to solve at the time, the feedback we were getting, oh, to support these features that these people want, we're going to have to do all this. So how can we take what we have now and satisfy these people? You know, you've got to be willing to listen. And people are going to help you, but not everybody. Not everybody's going to help you. you got to be careful. Some people are out there to see you fail. So know, know who's out there looking out for you, and if you can – Take your business, and if you really, truly believe that what you're doing is a beautiful thing and it's going to make this world a better place, stick to it. But be be cognizant of your environment. Be cognizant of who's trying to help you. Listen to them. You know, people that and people you ask for money are the hardest. <laughs> they're the hardest customers. If you want their money, you got to take their advice. Gotcha. Well, this is great advice, Ryan. Um, we talked about how you started Humanity, um, how you closed a few, few deals, started your team, advice for people starting off. Are there any other things you'd like to say on this podcast? Uh, yeah, I think 
it's it's a it's a great time to to bring change to you know to society. You know, don't solve a problem that's already been solved. Doing things better that's that's wonderful, but we don't need another food delivery service. We don't need another drone manufacturer. You know, we we don't we don't need so many of these things that really don't they're not they're not pushing the boundaries of us as as humans right now. We need we need more people that are looking into, you know, the health industry. We need more people that are looking into education like you. You know, we need more people that are looking into, you know, how can we keep governments honest? How can we keep citizens helping doing, you know, doing the right thing? How can we keep them informed of what's what are the best practices for for food, you know, for, you know, engaging internationally, for there, there's so many problems that the world has right now that aren't being solved, that aren't being looked at. And I would say just take a step back and look at if what you're doing is really making the world a better place or just make – or if you're just out here to make a little bit of money. The world doesn't need more millionaires and billionaires. We, we need more people that are solving problems. And I think I think the next wave – you know the next Silicon Valley we're gonna see. I I truly believe that it's gonna be full of people that are solving these global problems. That's great. I, I hope that's what the future is too. You know, you should be like a motivational speaker, or preacher, man. I mean, the, the passion in your voice and the fact that you're passionate about just making the world a better place. Like I can really hear it in you. Like you, you should once you make it and you're already well on your way. You you got you got to use the public speaking, man. I'll do my, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Well, I know you had a long night last night, so I'm gonna let you get some sleep. Uh, thank you so much. We'll we'll cut the podcast right here. Um. So I'll I'll have one of my guys uh, edit the podcast and put it up within the next few weeks. I've been putting them up manually myself. I'm trying to get someone else to do it now. Um. So yeah. Um. Real quick. So I'm trying to. Yeah. I, I try to get good headlines on this. So, like, one of my first episodes is, like, how, you know, a 21-year-old makes 10000 to 20000 a month on social media. What do you think would be a good headline that gets people to actually click on our episode? Man, you know, I'm not – it took me three months to come up with the name Humanity. Coming up with stuff <laughs> on the spot is not my forte. Um, gotcha. Um, could I, 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 I can think of one later. Yeah, yeah, you can text me. Um, so I, I, I guess I, this might not be a good headline, but it sounds like you have six-figure deals lined up already. Is it, is it appropriate to call your company a seven-figure business or a six-figure business? Is, is it okay to call it that or is that, uh, not a good statement right now? Um, we can, we can, we can call it six. Okay. We can call it six. All right. Um, well, if I can't, the, the titles I'm leaning towards are either something, you know, about the passion speaking you're doing, like don't solve problems that have only been solved before, or I can do the money headline where, you know, how college student Ryan formed a six-figure business, et cetera. One of those are good, but I'll, 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 I'll see if I can get something going. I'll, I'll try my best. 
All right, well, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't, don't worry about it too much. Um, thanks so much for the talk. Honestly, you were, of all the people I've interviewed so far, you were the most dynamic speaker. <laughs> and I, oh, I just interviewed you. a dude who's making like 700000 a month, and I Damn. don't think that's passion. Yeah. I'm, I'm, out, I'm out here. Like, I, I am, we are this close to really changing the way people are interacting with, you know, the the whole volunteering sector. Like, it's, it's a huge industry, and it from just digging down into humanity and seeing how many people this can affect, you know, where we just touched on so many other issues, like meeting with, you know, countless nonprofits at this point, um, just for feature testing, uh, figuring out all the problems that they're trying to solve. And they're like, yeah, this is the only, this, like, this company that's only making $30,000 a year in donations is trying to solve hunger in like six countries. And I'm like, how is this a thing when there's like billion dollar food delivery service like companies? There's like eight of those now. I'm like, how right. is this a, how is this a thing? So it, I, I think the more light we can shed on these industries, education, health, volunteering, I think we can start moving towards a more altruistic world. Right. See, that, that's like a dilemma I'm going through right now. So the guy I interviewed, you know, he's he's made it. He's, you know, he's into seven figures now, and he's only 20. And the advice he's giving me, he's like, yes, I know you want to change the world. He wants to fix the education system too. And what he was saying is what you should do first is get the money, even if it's not too ethical of a business, even if it's, you know, some, yeah, something not that ethical, and then use that money to – you know, go change the world, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that's right. Maybe that's not right. I'm kind of conflicted. That I, um, you know, I, I, pe- yeah. some, some people say it. Um, you know, like one, like you know, Bill Gates always has those like ten questions. You know, you can ask him. Um, and one of them he said was, he said, like, oh, someone asked him, uh, what would you say? You know, what would, advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, well, I would be more socially conscious. You know. Uh, because that's why, you know, philanthropically, he's giving away so much money to help all these different people. And that's a good thing to do. Sometimes people make that empire and then help. But I don't, I don't want to be the only one helping. I want to get more people involved in the helping. So that's why I'm going the route I'm going. And that's just right. because I want other people to also be involved. I mean, sure, I can just throw money at an organization. But that organization then has to get out. And then they have to get people to help. So I'm like, well, let me solve their problem. Let me make it easier for them to get help. And I'll make it easier for these people over here to get help. You know, that's, I mean, that's the way I'm approaching it. But there, like you said, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, the point is right. just trying to do some good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. I'll let you get going.